This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, did you know that all that you see at the White House, its furnishings, artwork, and artifacts are all maintained by a nonprofit? It's true. The White House Historical Association is responsible for all of these items. In fact, this year marks the 60th anniversary of the White House Historical Association since its founding by First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy. Well, my guest today is Stuart McLaren, who is the president of the association. And he recently worked with the National Park Service to spearhead the creation and unveiling of historical markers in Lafayette Square documenting the history of the involvement of enslaved labor in the construction of the White House. Well, Stewart mentioned that he was inspired by then First Lady Michelle Obama's famous quote at the 2016 Democratic Convention when she said, I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. Well, since then, Stewart and his team of historians at the association have uncovered the complicated past and paradoxical relationship between slavery and freedom in the nation's history and the nation's capital. I think you're going to really enjoy not only just the history that you'll learn today, but also how Stuart really utilizes social media and his website to tell the story of his association and his organization. Telling one story is so critical for all nonprofits. I think you'll learn a lot from Stuart today. Enjoy today's show. Well, Stuart, thanks so much for being on the show today. To start off with, go ahead and give us some background on the White House Historical Association. There's some really fascinating history to this nonprofit organization. And as I understand it, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy was the one who founded it. And of course, you are the president. So yeah, give us a a quick history about this wonderful organization. Sure, I'm happy to. And thank you very much for the invitation to be with you today to talk about our history and the role and the impact that we continue to have today. We are actually a 60-year-old organization. We were founded in 1961 by First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, who had the foresight at a young age. Remember, she's 31 years old when her husband is elected president and inaugurated president of the United States. And she's in that role for less than three years. But what she put in place, including the White House Historical Association, continues to be what governs, funds, manages the process of historic preservation, and acquisitions for the White House collection today. And it's just amazing that uh, we have now worked with 12 presidents and first ladies since that time. I personally have been honored to work with three, the Obamas, the Trumps, and the Bidens now. And our role is exactly the same, regardless of who the president may be. We're a nonprofit organization. We take no government funding whatsoever for the work we do at the White House. We're nonpartisan. We don't put our finger in the wind of a political breezes that blow. Our role stays the same. And it's a real privilege to have this responsibility on behalf of the American people to maintain the museum standard of the White House that Mrs. Kennedy envisioned. Most people don't realize that when you walk into those beautiful state rooms of the White House on that state floor or the ground floor with the library and the Vermeer room, the China room where they're located, Even upstairs, the Lincoln bedroom, the Queen's bedroom, 
everything you see there was either acquired with private funding by the White House Historical Association, or it's maintained and conserved, or even replaced with using the example of rugs or draperies or upholstered wall coverings. All that is funded for the American people by the White House Historical Association without having to go to Congress for appropriated funds. It's really an amazing and unique system for homes of heads of state around the world. And again, we are uh, in such a debt to Mrs. Kennedy, our country is, for having that foresight and vision to put that in place, and then we carry it on today. I think it's really interesting. I had no idea that all of the furnishings and the rugs and everything you see in the White House is preserved by you all and your organization. That is fascinating. Uh, out of curiosity, what kind of budget do you have annually? And I'm assuming that probably grows a little bit every year. It grows and it varies from year to year. There's a wonderful curatorial staff at the White House. It was also begun by Mrs. Kennedy. Before the Kennedys came into office, there was no formal collection like you have in a museum where items are maintained and inventoried and kept over time. A new president would come into office and they may choose to get rid of something to raise money to buy something new that was more contemporary. Uh, Early presidents tended to like things that were shiny and brand new rather than what we appreciate today as antiques or Americana. And so our funding goes to maintain that museum standard. And the curators actually submit to us every year a budget of proposed items that they would like to undertake over the coming year. And that may be replaced. Some recent projects include replacing the red upholstered walls in the Red Room and reupholstering the furniture in the Red Room. Some of these are cyclical. You think about the long red rug that goes from the state dining room to the East Room of the White House. If you're watching a press conference, you'll frequently see the president walking down that corridor. Well, that red rug gets a lot of foot traffic and has to be replaced every few years. Well, that's expensive. It's a a hand custom-made rug, American-made rug. And uh, so we, we, we fund that. But it does vary Uh, from year to year. I would say we spend anywhere from a million and a half to $2 million on those types of things for the White House. But from time to time, something will also come up at auction, maybe a a chair or something that used to be in the White House. And the curators will be approached about it or will learn about it and will decide to acquire that for the White House collection. And usually we're successful at those auctions, but these are items of history and other people are interested in them too. So it can get competitive, but we try to reacquire as much as we can that used to be in the White House. So it's returned there for history's sake. Well, for all those history buffs, they're loving this already. So very interesting. Now, moving a little bit to some of the new things you're doing, we're in a moment right now, certainly where racial equality and racial justice is front and center on everybody's minds. And it's often the lead story on our newsfeed, right? And so I'm curious if you could talk a bit about racial justice, racial equality, why they're so important to you and to the organization, the association, and perhaps what are the biggest barriers that keep nonprofit organizations from moving forward with racial diversity and inclusion? And for my listeners, the reason I'm asking is that the White House Association is doing something pretty interesting recently with some of your displays and some of the things you are supporting. So anyway, but I thought that'd be a good backdrop of why this is important to the association to begin with and why this is something of a challenge, I think, for all of us nonprofits. You're exactly right. It is very important and it is challenging in some regards, many regards. And in fact, we could probably spend two or three podcasts or more talking about this alone. 
The White House, like America's history, is controversial. It's difficult. It's challenging. We have to honor it and respect it, but revisit our understanding of it and our experience with it. For us at the White House Historical Association, we are physically located right on Lafayette Park across the street uh, north of the White House. And as you know, in the past two years, uh, we've, like all Americans, we're dealing with the COVID scenario. But more than most Americans, we had the demonstrations and the protests as a result of the murder of George Floyd that were literally happening right outside our front door. Now, when COVID happened, and I was working with our staff team, which ranges in age from probably right out of college until near retirement age, all kinds of different experiences. With COVID, we were all in this together. We had the same fears, the same anxieties, the same unknowns. What does this mean? How long will we be out of work? Are we going to have layoffs? Our health, our, our loved ones, how do we care for them? So we were all in that together. And as a leader, I could move to the forefront of that and direct the organization. After the murder of George Floyd and the demonstrations that took place so vividly and poignantly right outside our front door, that was a different equation. Our staff had different feelings, different backgrounds, different experiences in life. And it was a time for me not to step to the forefront of that and lead. I was not fully equipped to do that in many ways. It was a time for me to learn as well from some of our younger staff, some of our more diverse staff whose personal stories enriched our team dynamic to understand them and respect them in a new and different way. Our building right there had a, a large wall on the north side facing H Street that is white stucco. Some of it is almost 200 years old. And because it was white, it made almost a perfect billboard for those expressing their feelings through graffiti to write on that wall. And you may have seen on, it was the news outlets around the world, one large compelling phrase in the middle of that wall. And it said, why do we have to keep telling you that black lives matter? And that was on the news all over the, the world. But then that became a part of the history of Decatur House, which is a historic 200-year-old building, which we occupy in the president's neighborhood. So we needed to archive that history, photograph it, integrate it into the history of our building and our organization and memorialize that. But with our staff, making sure that we all understood and respected what that meant and how we would deal with this through that period of time and into the future. Most recently, about two weeks ago, we added audio to those storyboards. And, and we have the wonderful voices of a young Black woman leader, uh, Hillary West, a young Black a male leader, uh, Roy Stickerson, and their voices bring to life the, what I call the voices of the voiceless. Those who 200 and some years ago building the White House had no idea that they would be remembered by someone and someone would in an audio form and in a written form tell their story right there on the land where they did what they did to contribute to building that White House. If you're in Washington, please go see those. Uh, we'll soon have a QR code on our website where you can listen to those voices as well. I think there actually may be a link there now. But I just love what Hillary and Royce did and how they've become the voice of those people who never dreamed that their story would be told. And we're, in essence, storytellers. We tell the stories of the White House and its history, the good, and also the challenging and the bad and the difficult 
going back uh, all these years since the White House was first built. Well, again, just fascinating information, fascinating history, and for you to take that step to broaden and give more depth to the history of the White House um, and what was going on at the time when it was first built. I mean, uh, way to go. Uh, I think that's a, a bold move in many ways. And also, you said something really interesting, telling your story. I've had people on the show talk about the importance of telling your story, whatever kind of nonprofit you lead, if it's an art organization, a humanitarian organization, or an historical organization like your own, telling your story is so important and telling the story of what you do and who you serve, absolutely critical. So I love the fact that you're doing that in multiple ways and in creative ways. And now staying on that theme of racial justice and inequality, do you feel like, are you seeing a significant change with emerging generations when it comes to this issue of diversity and inclusion? If so, how should nonprofits, in your opinion, make the necessary changes now in order to be ready for these emerging leaders to embrace their organizations as we progress? Well, I, of course, can only speak to my own personal experience and the one that I have with the White House Historical Association, and perhaps it applies to others as well. We are an education organization, and one of the things I love most about my job is teaching and telling the stories of the White House and its history, going back to 1792 when George Washington selected that first piece of land, 1800 when the Adams moved in as the first president and first lady, and all of the events that have happened since then. So much of American history can be told through White House history. But one of the things I love most about my job is even though we're an education organization and even though we've done these wayside markers in the park, we're not pounding our chest that we know it all. We're learning every day too. And that's exciting to me. I'm learning from our young historians who discover new things and share those with me. I'm learning from Hillary and Royce who tell me what it's like to bring their voice to the voice of the voiceless. And learning from these people who lived and worked in that community of President's Park and how they worshiped, how they ate, how they lived. And all that is very special. And so we deploy that through our educational materials, our digital programming, but we also learn from it. And you mentioned the younger generation of our staff and they came of age through their own educational experience, their own living experience in a more open world than perhaps my generation would have. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama in a time of intense racial conflict. Sadly and horrifically, I remember uh, different water fountains and different bathrooms and just the horror of that and upon reflection and, and what that means and how far our country has come, but how much we still have to learn and grow about each other and understanding each other. And I'm so thankful, not for what happened the past two years, but how we all learned from what happened the last two years. And it has impacted the way we teach this history, the tools that we use to teach it, who we teach it to, who we want to make available this information to. Thanks to our donors and supporters, we're able to take content. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we started a wonderful partnership with the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, where they took our content, put it on their website, made it available to their uh, students and kids at uh, clubs all across the country and around the world. And I want to do more of that. This is not exclusive history or elitist history. For far too long, it's been viewed as a, a white American's history. But Americans are of all colors, They've contributed to our nation in so many different ways, 
And I'm learning more about that every day. And it's our role and responsibility to teach more about that every day. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I think you're right on that. And I love the fact that you really are filling fully that role of an education organization. And so I wondered, as we move to more of a macro level, uh, what do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector right now, just in general? And this is a show that a lot of nonprofit leaders listen to. What's your advice to those leaders as to how to successfully navigate through all the challenges we're facing right now? Well, I'm going to be a little self-serving in my answer to that question. I think history is very, very important. And Americans, unfortunately, are historically illiterate increasingly. To Americans, history might be what you have for lunch yesterday. But we forget so much about from where we've come and what we learned and what earlier Americans experienced and may have gotten wrong or may have gotten right. And I think no matter what the focus of a nonprofit organization, it may be on science and technology, it may be on healthcare, it may be on a higher education, but history, no matter what your field, is so important to know and to learn from. Uh, very One of the exciting things that if, if you, you may have seen some very little reporting has been on this at the news, but President, President uh, Biden actually brought together a group of historians, and he's done this more than once, I believe, into the White House and talked with them about our current day challenges in the context of American and world history. And that is so refreshing to me. And I wish every president in the past, and I certainly hope every president moving forward, chooses to surround themselves with people who know that history, can talk about lessons learned, talk about lessons forgotten, and give our presidents and our leaders that important context. We joke that every new presidency and presidential staff comes into the White House and they think history begins with them. But it didn't. History in our country has... Uh, by world standard, it's very young. But by American standards, we're a young country or an old country, you know, by to us, you know, we think of our White House, you know, it's it's built in 1792 to 1800. That's old. But by standards of Rome or England, their institutions, their buildings, their history is much older than ours. But we have enough to grasp hold of and learn from uh, right here in our own backyard of America. And I would just encourage my nonprofit leader colleagues to Embrace the story and the history of your field and embrace the story and the history of our country. 
and to learn from that and to refresh yourselves. History is not something that you should leave in a book in elementary school or junior high school. It's something that you could, should continue to learn and it equips you to be much more informed and prepared to take on any challenge you face as a nonprofit leader or I believe as a corporate or government leader in our country. Well, you're definitely talking to somebody who grew up in a home where history was just part of how we grew up. So when we travel, we would go to historical sites, historical museums, battlefields even. So I understand where you're coming from. Fortunate. I think it's so valuable. Yeah, I was very lucky. Uh, at the time, I didn't appreciate it during my teenage years, I don't think, but I've learned to really appreciate that over time. And I think you're right on. Now, not only do you lead and you're the president of the White House uh, Historical Association, but you were recently appointed to Concordia. And just for my listeners, that's a nonprofit dedicated to actively fostering and elevating and sustaining cross-sector partnerships for social impact. That's what Concordia does. Now, you've been recently selected to be a part of this great group of leaders. Could you talk a bit about that? What is the goal of Concordia and how does it support the nonprofit sector as a whole? I love Concordia. It's a a New York-based organization that convenes every September in New York around the United Nations General Assembly. Just passed its 10th year now. There have been several of these convenings. The the, uh, Clinton Global Initiative and others have, have participated in this space. But the Concordia Summit convenes in New York in September, but also convenes in other places around the world around the year. And they bring together leaders, not just nonprofit leaders, but corporate, government, and, and other private and pri- private and public sector entities globally now to convene, connect, and create relationship and better understanding. We became involved many years ago when a focus was more primarily on public-private partnerships. And we are certainly exactly that on behalf of the American people with the White House. We represent the public. The White House is a public entity, belongs to the American people, but we're a private organization, not a government entity. And so how can we as a private entity support the government institution for the betterment of the American people? And so as we participate in the Concordia Summit, we can learn, we can listen, we can grow and connect with people around the world. We have the opportunity to provide materials and resources at the most recent summit in New York in September. We provided one of our books, our publications, to every participant there, and it put in context this particular book, homes of 50 heads of state around the world, what they looked like, what they did there, which ones did the president or the king or the monarch or the prime minister live in and also work in, like our White House, or which ones were just offices, and what was the history of those, to try to find commonality, at least in the history of our leaders' executive mansions. And from that, we can build relationship and communication and connectivity. And it's really been a rewarding uh, partnership and association for us to be involved with Concordia. Oh, fantastic. And again, congratulations to being appointed to that really illustrious group of leaders. Now, I'm always curious, and I love asking this question of my guests. When it comes to leadership, this is a leadership podcast, of course. I'd be curious if you could give us two examples of leaders who have shaped you personally the most. What about their leadership impacted you and how did they shape your own leadership today? Many years ago, I had the privilege of uh, being chief of staff to the president at Georgetown University. And it was in that experience that I was surrounded by brilliant young minds. They were eager to engage the world and bring solutions and change and positive results from their life into the world that they were entering. And so I learned 
that I could be influenced and impacted and grow, not from the leaders that were necessarily above me in some organizational chart or people that I worked for or who had gone on to great success in life, but you can also learn from people who are growing and learning either at your side or that you're mentoring as well from the questions they ask, the challenges they give you. And for me, the opportunity they saw in my experience to help them grow and connect. Along my career path, I've had the opportunity to work with many wonderful people. And two that I would highlight would be uh, when I was uh, his executive assistant at the Department of Energy many years ago. He was Secretary of Energy, and he was his name was uh, Admiral James D. Watkins. He was former Chief of Naval Operations, probably the strongest leader I've ever worked for. He was a nuclear engineer, and here he was working at a department that was responsible for the development of America's nuclear weapons. He had the knowledge, the sophistication, the experience to command the respect of those he was leading. He was not just a political appointee. But in addition to that, he had character, integrity. He was a man of fairness and of principle, a man of faith. And I learned so much about those different aspects of his life and leadership that I continue to emulate today. And then I had the privilege of being Elizabeth Dole's chief of staff when she was president of the American Red Cross. I did not go to the Senate with her, but at the American Red Cross, such an amazing organization where every day you are helping people, whether it's people that are victims of a house fire or on a macro scale or hurricane or a flood or a tornado and really making a difference in lives. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I love hearing those stories of both, yeah, the young people that you have uh, mentored, but then they've turned around and inspired you. And then, of course, the two examples you give, just fantastic. It demonstrates a lot about a person when they talk about who's influenced them. And obviously, you've had some great mentors along the way. Now, I think people that are listening to this are going to want to find out more about the White House Historical Association. Of course, they'll want to maybe learn more about you as well. How can they find out more about you and about the association? Well, I would love uh, anyone listening to your podcast to follow my my podcast, The 1600 Sessions, which you can find on our website, whitehousehistory.org, or wherever you receive your podcasts. I also am on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can follow me there. And the association has very active social media. Each day, we convey doses of stories, anecdotes, visuals, pictures of White House history, and we connect it to real-life events that are happening today to give people that foundational understanding of American history through the prism of the White House that can better inform them to be Americans and citizens of our country today. Our website is rich and robust. We have an array of digital offerings and events that you can sign up for or watch freely. We have a digital library that is tens of thousands of images and metadata. If you're a student, a teacher, an author, a professor, a journalist, uh, you can go there and get uh, images from us and use those in your work. Or you can talk to our historians. They're available. You'll increasingly see us cited by White House correspondents as a source for information. Uh, we invite newly appointed or credentialed journalists over to our uh, offices and introduce them to our historians, our digital librarians, and make those resources available to them. We also do that for the speechwriters, for the new presidents and first lady and vice president, so that they know that there are resources available to them to help them in their work as well. And we are a great research resource, treasure trove of information on our website. 
and our social media. I think you'll be really, you'll really enjoy the delivery that we serve every day on our social media. We try not to be self-promoting. We try to share with you information that will inform and inspire you uh, as an American. No, and I have to attest that you do have a wonderful and a vibrant uh, social media page and your website as well. Just lots of good content. And again, for my listeners, I'd encourage you to check out what they're doing at the White House Historical Association because they're telling their story really well. And as you said, Stuart, every day there's something new and it's compelling. It's interesting, particularly if you're a history buff. But even if you're not, it's just how you tie things into to everyday things today that match maybe what's happened in the past. That's telling your story, and that's really, really uh, done in an effective way. So I encourage my listeners, again, to check it out. Stuart, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about more about what you do, what you're doing at the Historical Association. You're doing great work. Thanks for taking time to be on the show. Well, thank you for your kind words, and I would encourage everybody. You know, I think we in nonprofit, as nonprofit leaders sometimes look at each other competitively, but we should dispense with that. We can be collaborative and help build each other up because there's so much that can be taught, so much that needs to be done in our country. And let's work together to do that, not at cross purposes. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for that. And again, thanks for taking time. Thank you. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review, give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.